Well, good morning, uh, good afternoon, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, just want to uh, yeah get this started with our third Smart Buildings uh, webinar of 2018. And today we are talking about embedded artificial intelligence uh, delivering and how it's being delivered and, it, and our video analytics, um, are we getting what, what we've been promised? I'm very happy to welcome uh, Martin Gren, co-founder of uh, Axis Communications. Hi, Martin. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing excellent here. Great. Just back from uh, Moscow. Oh, fantastic. You can tell us about that shortly. Um, I Just a bit of housekeeping to start with. Um, obviously, if you guys are out there listening live, uh, we're very happy to take questions um, during our conversation. A uh, way to do that is if you type them in, um, I'll get them here and then I'll be able to Put them into the conversation with Martin. Um, also, we are recording this, so it's going to be up on our website, memory.com. It'll also uh, be on our YouTube channel, and we do publish this as a podcast as well. So if you go through iTunes, uh, you can search for us. We're called Smart Building Series. If you do a search for that, you'll find us. You can subscribe through that, you can also subscribe through um, SoundCloud as well, soundcloud.com. Again, if you search for Smart Building Series, you'll find us. So yeah, let's uh, let's get started. Martin, for those of you, uh, who, who, for those of us, I say, who don't know who you are, maybe you could just give us a brief introduction about your career and, and your work at Axis Communications. Well, I mean, Axis has always been my whole life. I mean, uh, we founded Axis back in 1984. So we were three of us, myself, Michael Carlson, and Keith uh, Bladworth, who's now running CNL. Uh, we did print servers in the beginning, but uh, since uh, 1996, me and one of our engineers, we invented the world's first IP camera. Uh, and uh, since then, we have transformed as a company from uh, doing print servers and storage into being the world leader in uh, IP-based surveillance cameras. And uh, I work on the board, uh, I give a lot of speeches, and my formal job now, I mean, is advisor to the new business team, and that's pretty much what I do. Right, yeah, so you've, you've obviously been quite busy um, over the last few years, you're obviously developing more connected uh, products, haven't you? So I've, I've seen, for example, you've moved into um, audio. Yeah, I mean, uh, 10 years ago, we launched the world's first thermal network camera, and that was the new business team. That's how we established it. And then we did uh, uh, IP-based uh, access control. Uh, we did the uh, IP audio, which is actually where with the area where I work the most of right now. We did the IP horn speaker to complement all the video surveillance systems. And now we're doing IP audio also for like background music for schools like hospitals and so on. And I think IP audio is basically where IP video was 15 years ago. So it's a lot of opportunities, yeah. but also challenges, of course. Yeah. Of course. After all, you see more speakers in the society than you see cameras. Yeah, absolutely. But it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I guess so. Really, the, the the common thread through the company is connectivity. I guess, right? I mean, you you were connecting printers and then cameras, and it, it's, you've you've been a, an IoT kind of company for for a while. Yeah. I mean, we even wrote a white paper on IoT 22 years ago. Uh, we call it the thin server technology, but if you make a replace of thin server into IoT, it would be totally relevant today. Mm. And uh, 
to come into today's subject, I mean, one of my favorites was that uh, if we look back in the early 90s, there was actually a very uh, much talk about artificial intelligence. Uh, I remember Economist had a leader on uh, artificial intelligence back in 1991. So it's, it's not a new trend bad as well. No, absolutely. And I'm, you know, being at a uh, university studying computer science, uh, well, well over, God, it's a long time ago now. <laughs> but, you know, we were talking about neural networks and um, Bayesian algorithms and, 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 you know, artificial intelligence as well back then. Um, although, you know, it's a different time now. And uh, again, as you said, like, that's really what we're here to talk about today. Uh, I thought maybe we could start by looking at uh, just putting this, trying to put this in context in terms of how has software impacted video surveillance over, let's say, the last 15, 20 years. I mean, what, what have you seen um, as the, 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 the major impacts that software have had on, on video? Well, on video, I think it has really taken it from being quite rudimentary GUIs. I mean, remember that the video surveillance software basically came out of the DVR. I mean, managing, uh, first it was the time-lapse recorder, where you have the original GUI of basically operating as, 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 like, as like a VCR. And then the DVR basically imitated that. So it was still, uh, from a user point of view, exactly like operating a, a video recorder. Uh, with VMS, I mean, which have really evolved quite well, I think, uh, the, the customers require more. They want it to be easy to be, to be used. I mean, just like the smartphone revolution 10 years ago, where Apple really, uh, from a feature point of view, did not do much of a difference, but from a usability point of view, they made it possible to use all those advanced and fancy features that you had for some time, but which were hopelessly implemented in being difficult to use. And actually, from a VMS software point of view, I think the ease of use uh, is really the number one software trend. Mm, right. Okay. And that's that's how they've they've developed. So, I mean, traditionally, we've we've put video, VMS video management software onto um, you know NVR or DVR, right? The the network video recorders, some kind of central server. I mean, is that is that now changing? I mean, are, is it still, you know, one of the big trends in IT is is cloud? How How is that going to impact how we use software? I mean, what you see is that uh, uh, it used to be that you had an appliance called uh, video management system, and that was a DVR or NVR. But, I mean, more and more that has become uh, a rack of computers. Uh, However, the customer wants these, these racks to be delivered as a functioning solution, not just as uh, many parts that you have to tie together. I mean, with the big exception of the really large enterprise systems. Mm. So uh, the customers are expecting more of a finished solution, but I think more in the form of like PCs or network appliances, which are, are PCs. Yeah, of course. So as kind of bringing this a bit more up to date, you know, if we've, what we've seen is, I mean, again, uh, we can, what, what people started talking about 15 years was, 
15 years ago, 10 years ago, was video analytics. And that was or has been a, a, you know, a buzzword marketing term in the industry for a while now. Um, what is your sort of opinion about, you know, how that's evolved over the last 10 years? You know, it's interesting about, you know, how it sort of started to get into the industry and then how is it, how has it developed to where we are now? Well, I mean, uh, <clears throat> if you look on, uh, on, on analytics and so, I mean, one has to remember that the vast number of video surveillance systems, they do nothing but record and play back. Uh, I think that is still like 90% of all systems. Really? Yeah. Yeah, higher. Uh, because you want to see when there is an incident. In some applications, you have like daily incidents uh, or even hourly in incidents if you're like a railway station or airport. But uh, if you're like a museum, you probably have like a monthly incident. Yeah. And that means that the GUI of, of those type of people, I mean, needs to be very different. Different, Because for the museum, it has to be really, really simple to use because they use it so infrequently. And if you're an enterprise customer with daily incidents, of course, it should be sophisticated. You, you should be able to do whatever you need to. Right. So, so, so what, I guess analytics was the, you seem used to kind of make the 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 VMS or, or the 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 interface the the, the GUI uh, more usable for, um, for for the client. Yeah, I mean the the most obvious and the most commonly used piece of analytics. I mean, it's of course video motion detection, and that helps you a lot in finding when there are incidents. So. Many people don't consider that as an analytics, but actually it is. Mm. Because we all know, I mean, video motion detection, which uh, trigger too often or which miss when there actually is some kind of incident. And uh, that's, of course, no good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and here, I think, if you see the process of performance increase the last couple of years, that has actually made video motion detection a lot more reliable than it used to be. It's still not good enough for the majority of use cases, I would say, though. It's good to help you and guide to find the events, mm. but you cannot trust 100%. Why, why is it not good enough? Uh, it's not good enough, and the reason is that uh, uh, if you do in an indoor application with control light environment, then I think you can really do a reliable motion detection. But if you do outdoor, which I think is the majority of the use cases, you always have issues with like uh, clouds, which are generating shadows. You have like cars with headlights generating shadows. And you have stuff like spiders who will uh, walk across cameras, especially if these cameras have built in IR, because IR light, I mean, is a magnet for spiders. Mm. So, uh, you, you will always get those kind of fake false alerts. It's a fact of life. Right. Yeah, of course. If you really want to be reliable, then you have to, to use technology where it's not prone to these issues. And that's actually the reason we developed the thermal cameras and the uh, uh, radar. I mean, a fun incident in the early days of network video, we were selling to some undergrounds and they wanted to detect uh, people on the tracks and 
the application is really to see the difference between a train and a person on the track. And that seems like a, a good average university graduate should be able to do that analytics. But if you factor in that an underground has like tens thousands of cameras, uh, and if every camera gives one false alert every year, which is a fantastic result, uh, it still means uh, like 30 false alerts every day. And that's just too much to make the application viable. Mm. So you're still relying, of course, then on some human uh, input to say, okay, they then have to, maybe they get the alert and then they have to say whether uh, to double check and make sure that it's actually a real thing or not a real thing. Uh, exactly. And uh, uh, that was the purpose of the thermal cameras. Now, unfortunately, the thermal is too expensive to deploy in those numbers in an underground. But it has a lot of other applications where you have more critical applications. Yeah. But video, uh, it, it is coming to a point when you can probably make it more reliable, but uh, not for these type of outdoor use cases. It's mm -hmm. another five years to go, I think. What were some of the, the other big applications of video analytics? What are the main you know, ways in which people have been using them for the past few years? The past few years, I would definitely say it's, uh, it's either uh, like license plate recognition, which I think is a solid technology, which is well proven, uh, especially in Europe. In the US, it's more difficult to make reliable because we have so many forms of license plates. Uh, Europe is better standardized. Uh, other applications which are really well used is uh, uh, retail analytics. So like people counting, heat mapping, queue counting, and so on. And the reason they are successful is that they don't require more than, let's say, 90% accuracy. And uh, even gender and age detection, which are not th that reliable, but from a marketing point of view, having a clue versus not having a clue, it's a lot better. And that's where I think these type of analytics work really well uh, in the retail environment. Mm. Do you think uh, there's some debate in the industry about this, the, the analytics? I mean, for a long time, it was a marketing type term it was hyped up. Do you think that it was oversold to end users over the past few years? For object video, I mean, in the early 2000s, I mean, when they always had the biggest booths and the biggest the booth parties at all the trade shows. And uh, I mean, nobody remembers them any longer. Mm. So I think that was a, a really good example of a big hype. But the big hype, I mean, it then leads to evolution. And uh, I mean, some more mature applications have been developed. I mean, now you can do pretty accurate, like a cross-line detection. I think even in an outdoor environment, if you really fine tune it and take your time, I think it's possible to make it with high accuracy now, actually. That was not the case 10 years ago. Okay. So, so it's improving and it's coming. and. Uh, Thanks to deep learning, uh, I also think that we will see increased accuracy. So the trick is to, to not oversell it. And I think the overselling, I mean, was, was a big problem, I mean, 10 years ago. Uh, now people have taken a more realistic view 
And 10 years ago, we all remember the CSI show, which was like one of the most popular shows. And yeah. according to CSI, you could in almost every episode, you could see the use of video surveillance cameras and being used in a way that is totally not possible to do, but really looks cool on television. And a lot of people buy into that myth. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, deep learning, and I guess that kind of brings us up to today, right? And again, what we're hearing is uh, new buzzwords. So we're hearing AI, artificial intelligence, deep learning, um, machine learning. Some of these these concepts, again, I mean, we, we referenced this earlier in the conversation, they're, they're not new, right? These, these, are, these are computing terms that have been used in the IT industry for a long time. But I think it's worth def uh, defining them just at this time, so, so you know, because deep learning isn't is a form of artificial intelligence, right? But maybe you could you could speak to that. Well, how do they fit together? What what do you really define as as artificial intelligence? Yeah, uh, I, I I am not the theoretical guy. I mean, I, I'm not the right guy to give a definition. But I would say, in principle, I mean, they're all based on neural networks. And neural networks, I mean, that's a technology that was invented like early 70s and uh, has uh, in some applications shown really astonishing results. Uh, and now with thanks to Moore's law, these have become possible to do. So you have seen quite a, uh, an increase uh, in the abilities of neural networks the last couple of years. It used to grow like linear, mm -hmm. but uh, then it started the accuracy to grow faster than just linear. Uh, I wouldn't say exponential, but you really saw some big improvements. Right. However, you factor in mind that the only way to do it properly today is to do it based on a server. And uh, running analytics on a server, I mean, uh, it's cool, you can do a lot of things, but it's expensive and it doesn't really scale because systems, they contain more and more cam cameras. So I think that in order to be scalable, you need to have that processing power on the edge rather than on the server. Okay, right. And that's gonna, you can see here on the screen, I, I put up a couple of articles that that, um, that I found recently. Because of course, you, you know, you can't, um, there's so much information there now about, about what companies are doing with AI. Um, but a couple of things that you mentioned there, uh, one Moore's law um, to deep learning. I think the, the you know, it seems like a, things have come together somewhat right, in the IT industry to, to as you said, enable um, systems to improve, neural networks to improve. I think one area that we've seen a lot of improvement is uh, voice recognition. Would you, mm -hmm. would you agree? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, I love to play with it. Of course, I mean, I, uh, I'm a good user of the Alexa. Uh, I've also tried a Google Home. But uh, actually, I think Alexa has uh, a lead compared to Google. I mean, it's amazingly reliable. And, and, and what, and other, you know, you mentioned Moore's Law. <clears throat> Clearly, that's been a, a driving force to be able to, you know, have this more, more processing power, but also deep learning. I mean, so what are we talking about with deep learning? Yeah, that's a good thing, a good question. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think the best example on deep learning, I think, is uh, is actually face detect face uh, uh, recognition. 
So uh, face recognition in a controlled environment, I mean, there has been some benchmarks, benchmarks into that on some academic studies. I don't know if you're familiar with the label faces in the wild application, which basically is a collection of faces uh, with number and you should identify them. And I don't remember exactly the metrics, but I think it's like 80 by 60 pixels per face. And uh, uh, on a database of, uh, I think it was 20,000 faces, some years ago, uh, it was very difficult to have high accuracy on it. But uh, since like two years ago, that, that problem has been more or less solved. Uh, and that, that is definitely thanks to the neural networks. And that, given the nature of face detection on a big database, how reliable it is, you may think that, oh, cool, I can put up this on a football stadium and uh, to identify those bad uh, hooligans before they get in. But the fact is that they never look straight into the camera and they try to hide themselves. Uh, and you will not have that many pixels on each person as they enter the stadium, even if, if you do place cameras properly by the entrance. So I think that type of application, although we would all love to have it, I think at best, I mean, it can be a good guideline to the police for the next coming few years before you actually can solve the problem. And then you are not factoring in stuff like the GDPR, which I think is going to affect analytics significantly here in Europe. Yeah, right. Uh, in what way? That's an interesting point. How, how will GDPR affect analytics? Well, nobody knows how it's actually going to happen. But, uh, I mean, basically you have to give your consent to be stored in a database uh, and uh, with a few exceptions. And I think that is very difficult to implement. And given the draconian fines of not complying with GDPR, I think most people will be really scared uh, before we start doing those type of implementations. Mm. Now, this is not uh, valid for US and uh, uh, Asia, but uh, uh, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff in GDPR makes sense. I mean, especially, I mean, since the the latest uh, Facebook uh, Cambridge Analytica uh, type of data breaches. So uh, I think that will put more focus. And I think that other countries will get more like the GDPR uh, legal framework. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out because it, it, it applies to any company that is holding data on people in Europe, right? So. Yeah. It does have a lot of implications for country for companies that may even be, you know, uh, outside of uh, or operating outside of Europe, incorporating. And many, many of those uh, rules in, in, in GDPR, I think they make perfectly sense. Although I think it is, uh, it's very vague what it actually means exactly. And uh, I mean, the fines are, are just ridiculous. Of course, there should be fines of not complying with it, but 4% of your company's revenues, I think that's a bit of draconian. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we just sort of discussed a little bit there uh, before about deep learning, about um, AR, how, it, how it's evolving, some of, some of its potential impacts. Uh, you mentioned 
how you, you, you know, you saying it's expensive to do it on, uh, on a central server. What, what are the ways around that? And I guess one of them might be to put machine learning or AI or deep on the edge, right? Let's say embed it perhaps within a camera. How practical is that at the moment? Are you, is that something you, you can see happening? Yes, I think so. I mean, if you look on, uh, as you showed here on your slide, I mean, you brought up some of the plug-in boards right. uh, that is possible. I mean, I would say, though, that it's not really realistic to put those type of boards on an average camera. But for specialty applications, it could be, be viable. But I think it's really going to be a niche. But if we fall, if we believe in Moore's law, we know that what is now a module that takes a lot of power, we know that within a couple of years, that type of technology may may be available just in the form of a chip uh, that is cost effective enough so that you, you can actually put it on at least a higher end mainstream camera. Mm. But I mean, there's been a lot of talk about Moore's law slowing down recently. Is that uh, what? What is your view on that? Is um, is is there is there way, way, going to be a way around that? Are we going to develop a new way of of of, of speeding up computers? Yeah, uh, I mean there has been talks about Moore's law slowing down for I would say the last twenty years, or not even more than that. So I just assume that it's going to stay valid. I don't put much of a thought into it myself. I'm not the expert on that. And uh, I mean, what I know is that the soon you, you will get to the geometries where the chip is only a couple of atoms, and that must, of course, be the limit. But on the other hand, I mean, stacking chips should be possible to do. And there's been a lot of work on that, I mean, already in like flash memories. So yeah, I'm pretty confident more slow will rule for the next five years. Okay, well then, of course, that, that does mean that we should be able to put more computing power within a, within smaller devices right which which I guess would would definitely apply to to video um, one of the other things I wanted to discuss with you and I, and I also have a, the other aspect I mean it's the aspect of heat mm. so a lot of processing generates a lot of heat and a lot of heat is bad for image quality and if image quality degrades so does the quality of the analytics so Funny enough, I mean, a mainstream box uh, IP camera, the power dissipation, at least from an from axis cameras, the, the first one took about four watts. And actually still, our mainstream cameras take four watts. And if they take more than four watts, you, you get degrading image quality, and you do not want that to happen. Yeah, I mean that's that's really important, right? Because you, you're not going to be able to do any analytics if you don't have the quality of uh, of, of image. Is is that true? Uh, that's I think that's very true. Mm. So I mean, we have to come down to so that you can get today. I mean, when you when you do deep learning, I mean, you typically use a high end card from Nvidia. Uh, which has a really big cooling system, and the cooling system is significantly larger than uh, the processor itself, uh, and that gives you the, the power. But what you know for sure is that, I mean, if you buy a cheap PC today, you can get them with built-in graphics, and 
the graphic quality is like a four or five year old NVIDIA did, chip did uh, at that time. Right. And that kind of brings me on to one of the, the key things I wanted to talk about um, in, in, the, uh, in this webinar was, was about how we're seeing some companies like NVIDIA, which you mentioned, Modvius, I guess, owned by Intel is another one, that are developing now um, systems on chips, SOCs, with this kind of, with AI, or, or they're, they're built with AI in mind, right? I mean, I mean what, what difference is that going to make? And, and, and how do you see that playing out and impacting video surveillance? Mm, how do you mean? So we're seeing companies like NVIDIA do, uh, do spend a lot of money developing um, chips which have AI uh, capabilities, or they have the, the you know the chips specific, specifically defined, uh, defined, designed to uh, run AI software. Um, what impact do you see that having on on video surveillance? Well, I think those chips, I mean, will make it uh, mainly, I mean, into the server-based analytics. And possibly they will also make it into the MVRs. Uh, but to the average appliance, I don't think they will make it uh, because the market still requires 90%, as I began with, is simple, plain recording uh, and playback. That's really the, the only feature the end user requires uh, in many cases. So I, I think that those chips, uh, yeah, they, they will not make it into the cameras, not on a, on a broad scale. Okay, so that only maybe for very, very specific or niche or cameras that are designed for a niche. Yeah, yeah. Thing. And I mean, have it, don't, don't forget about the heat. I mean, they, they do generate some, some extra wattage. Okay. So with, with those um, chips, do you, do you, you don't see, I mean, what, what, what do you currently in, in video surveillance then? Are cameras just using fairly basic um, SOCs, chips in the camera? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's actually the opposite. Right. So uh, the camera chips, at least the ones we develop, I mean, they, they have uh, grown tremendously, both processing power and a number of uh, transistors. The vast majority of those are used for image processing. But uh, I think that in a couple of years, thanks to Morris Loy, I mean, you will even be able to put in some uh, NVIDIA-like processing abilities directly onto the chip. And then you come within the same power budget, and then it becomes viable. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you think, as a general rule, we will see more, more and more intelligence move to the edge? Yes, I think so. And the, the, the reason is simple. It's, it's the only way that it scales. But, uh, I mean, if you have an application like an airport where you want to do like a random selection, uh, I think that's a great case for a server-based analytics, because you can solve a problem. So what, what do you mean by random selection? Well, I mean, you could you could have a database of uh, bad people. And uh, in, in, when you do a random selection, I mean, if it's completely random, uh, you can help the odds. So it is not completely random. 
but you still accept uh, a certain level of failure rate. Okay. So you mean uh, you're talking about identifying, so having a database of people that you want to identify and then as they come through airport security to be able to try and match the faces in the database with the faces that you are yes. on camera. Because then you don't require more than uh, like 75% reliability. And that I think you can easily get on a server-based analytics. Right. So a lot of this, it seems to me that you're, you're saying that um, the video analytics, video analytics works when there's a clearly defined um, way of using it. Exactly. Right. I mean, I remember, you remember the company a couple of years ago, Behavioral Recognition Systems? Yes. I, I mean, they claimed that they could put up cameras and have them self-learning and then uh, give an alert if there were suspected behavior. Mm. Uh, and I personally thought that was a bound failure. I mean, one of my favorite examples of that is that if you were 10 years ago walking, and then you stopped and looked down and looked up. That was suspicious behavior. But today, that's somebody playing with Facebook or getting messages. And it's normal behavior. Right, yeah, exactly. Think behavior changes. Uh, and we've had some time and telling the difference between a, a bad person and a good person based on behavior. Uh, a psychology look, uh, psychologist looking into video and who's really good at it can actually do that, I think. Mm. But uh, it takes tremendous amount of trainings and getting a neural network to trigger on that. That's so many years ahead. Mm. Um, that, we've had some questions come in, um, which I'll put to you now. Actually, one of them ties into that. It says, when will we move to unsupervised learning? Um, well, from what you said before, you, you're not too optimistic about about seeing that kind of thing uh, soon, are you? Uh, no, uh, I think that will take time. But take uh, unsupervised learning. Uh, one of the main trends, I think, in the industry, that is how you make your guards more efficient. I mean, we are, after all, in the security industry, and that's very much built on manpower. Uh, and for instance, if you have a car dealership, I mean, you have problems with like teenagers breaking in and so on. If you put up radar surveillance, which is really reliable, and you put that up so it triggers a PTC and it gives an alert to your guards, you, you will be able to provide a really good solution. And that can be more or less fully automatic. Uh, it is not really what you think of as a deep learning and, or machine learning. But it is a solution, and it is a machine that does the job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another question here. Um, it goes going back to GDPR. Um, how does GDPR affect video analytics like line crossing? Um, he's trying to say that tracking intruders with consent seems counterintuitive. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, analytics like... Uh, uh, crossing a line, I cannot see a GDPR implication on. And the same goes with like the, the most popular analytics today, I mean, which I think is the people counting, mm. because the cameras look from the top, so they only see the top of your head. And I don't think that is a GDPR issue. Yeah, sure. 
Interesting as well, you, you mentioned, of course, um, you know, that terrorism, secure, um, security is still the, um, pro- will be for a long time, the main drivers for, for, for video surveillance. But I think one of the one of the promises of video analytics w- was that it was going to move video surveillance into more, you know, operational sides of of, of business and the enterprise. And I, you mentioned before about the success of retail analytics. Can you see still that the, the video analytics will help to move security video surveillance into? you know, more of uh, solving more problems for business, not, not just, the, not just the, the security piece? Well, I mean, what you see is that uh, a lot of the video is used for operational purposes. So, I mean, if you run like a, a chain of ca- cafeterias and so on, I mean, you can centrally have a look and get a feeling if they're clean, if they look as they should. Uh, not by, analy- by uh, machine learning, but by people actually having the ability to see. Uh, and I've seen so many examples of companies implementing that. Uh, when it comes to the machine learning, I mean, it is really the people counting, which I think is the number one successful application in the world for the time being, which is a true machine learning. Mm. And for those of you who don't know, I mean, the people counting you do in order to learn the convergence rate of a store and if you operate, uh, let's say, an H&M or uh, a Zara, then uh, you want to know, I mean, how many people go in and make a purchase versus how many who just go in and go out. And that is the best metrics by far to compare individual stores. And that is a reason why people counting is so popular. Right. It's just great information for, for the company to understand how they're operating their stores, right? Exactly. And there's an interesting question that, that ties into that. Do, do, do you see technology like the kinds of video analytics used in Amazon Go, those, those stores they're developing? Uh, do you see that technology becoming mainstream? And if so, under what kind of time frame? Well, I mean, you, you, will, you will see analytics. I mean, I think like door stations, that's a great example. You look into a door station. Uh, and if uh, you do a face recognition in the door station, it's a reasonably controlled use case. And you can, with pretty good accuracy, I would say one to 10,000, uh, identify a person who it is the person who should be granted entrance or not. And that accuracy, I think, is enough for a lot of applications. So you could see a situation where video and access control become a lot more tightly integrated yes uh, that has been a dream for a very long time yeah i mean everyone talks about the integration of access control and video the reality is i mean that it's what i call the post-it note integration <laughs> because in the end it's always two separate systems and you write a note when you transfer information from one system to the other i mean it's a lot of cap and, cap and paste mm. Why is that then? Why, why, why are we still in that, 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 that situation? Because it's different companies who, who do it and the markets are different as well. I mean, video systems, you typically buy your cameras, you keep them up, they have a, uh, an uh, economic life on average of five to seven years. 
but an access control system you keep for 20 years. And that makes a different mindset on the companies delivering the solution. And that's why I think, uh, I mean, Mercury is playing such an important role uh, in that industry. Mm. Uh, Lenel, of course, they, they add on video, but in the end, I mean, they're not video specialists, they are access control specialists. And uh, it's a nature of the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Onbiv, for example, have, have done a lot of work trying to open up um, with standards like the, the, the access and video, um, and they've been pretty successful, haven't they, I'd say, in, in video. But is it having any impact, open standards, on, on access control? Well, it has some, some impact, of course. Uh, uh, but, I mean, the dominant player, I mean, we all know, I mean, it's Mercury. Yeah. So whatever they do is going to decide really what, what the industry does. Yeah, that is, that is the key. <laughs> <laughs> Another question here uh, that's come in. Um, oh, just about uh, the, the, the previously he'd mentioned not just Amazon Go, but also uh, something that Alibaba are developing called smile to pay uh, And apparently it's a system that's being used in KFC in China to use facial recognition databases for people to pay using a face that is saved in a database. Can you see the um, applications like that spreading to Europe um, and America? Uh, yes, we can. I mean, uh, I mean, after all, I mean, we, we trust our the ATMs with our ATM card and a four-digit PIN. And I would say even a rather rudimentary face uh, recognition algorithm, if you have your face stored uh, in your card or in your bank, and you show up and you have, have the card, I think you have about the same security as you have with a PIN. Really? Because oh, you mentioned before that, I mean, we're, we're talking about 90% accuracy, are we, or, or less for facial? No, no, but that's a controlled environment. Okay. That's the difference. Because if it's a non-controlled environment, you, you don't, I mean, you have more than 90% accuracy, but depending on the, the, the size of your database of potential people. But here it is matching a pre-taken picture with a picture that you take right now. Mm -hmm. And you do that, I mean, in a controlled manner. I mean, that's why we have really well-working uh, automatic passport controls, although they are really slow, unless you fly by a Helsinki. <laughs> So I okay, so I, I see I see what you're saying about about the difference there, um, and I, and I guess as well you could combine it with you could just use it as an ed, an additional layer of security perhaps. So so you can still maybe type in a pin, but also provide more security with biometrics. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, as just want to say to everyone that's listening, if there are any more questions for Martin, um, please uh, put them. Uh, type them in and, uh, and I'll get them and I can uh, I can uh, ask him uh, something just more from me I mean do you see uh, any limitations with the application of AI technology for video yeah I mean <clears throat> I always have a favorite uh, when I do presentations that I take up and that was uh, last year there was a big announcement from Facebook and Facebook announced that they were hiring 3,000 humans uh, to review content. 
And have in mind that Facebook, I mean, they have really structured data. They have it in text format. They know who you interact with frequently. And we have learned recently that they know your political views and a lot of other things. Right, yeah. We don't want them to know. Uh, and still, having all that knowledge, Facebook made that announcement. And that was 10 months ago that they needed to hire 3,000 humans to review content. Now, compare that with a video, video system where you have video data. And video data is typically in a very unstructured format. It is uh, uh, pixels, which are compressed. It's a vast amount of data. I mean, a VMS system uh, can actually be, be generating so much data, so it's unbelievable. Uh, YouTube, as an example, when they last time published the amount of videos uploaded, it was basically the equivalent to a 25,000 BMS system. And 25,000 cameras, that's a lot. But it's not unusual. That's an average underground system. It's a big airport. Uh, many retailers actually have more cameras than that. So what I'm saying is that I think it will take a long time until you can do the same analytics based on video as you can do on text. And this Facebook example, I think, really shows a lot about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing how much how much unstructured data the video must uh, that must generate. Um, do, do you think that that some of the software techniques around big data, and of course, also AI algorithms, are they are they going to be able to make that? that content that the video data more structured and more easy to you know to 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 make sense of of course i mean it becomes easier and easier every year but on the same time you get higher and higher resolution so uh, 10 years ago that was when we uh, introduced the h264 into the industry and we introduced the full hd video format uh, Today, I mean, most customers are running full HD. Uh, they're probably not running at a full frame rate for the recording. And industry is promoting 4K. And given the time it takes, I mean, it's after all a conservative industry. I think 10 years from now, we probably will see 4K as the standard resolution. But then it's, it's so much more data. So uh, the processing of the video data, I think it, it probably stays in line with the growth in resolution, the growth in frame rate. So it will take a point, take a some time until we reach a plateau and the more slow is really kicking in on the video compression. Mm. That's really interesting. A couple of uh, more questions that are coming for you. Um, are you seeing a trend towards sensor fusion? Um, by that uh, integrating multiple sensor types with video technology? Um, yes, that, that's a very good question. Uh, we, we definitely see that. We have been running a lot of initiatives on that. And actually, one of our latest products, we added support for the Z-Wave standard, which is a really cool technology for uh, integrating sensors into video. Uh, and uh, although that's uh, done like a first experiment, I think it has huge potential. Mm, interesting. What would be some 
some examples of, of that? Well, some other examples, I mean, that uh, I have been working on. I mean, the thermal cameras, that is pretty much a sensor. Uh, the radar, it's definitely a sensor. Uh, audio detection, where you can do like tone of voice, aggression behavior, and so on. It's another sort of sensor. And so, so do you think that um, adding sensors will, will actually improve the overall effectiveness of video deployments? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, very much. I mean, uh, 10 years ago, I mean, the, the regular sensor was a PIR sensor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, now we can integrate all sorts of different sensors. And why do we use those sensors? Well, fact is, they are more reliable than just uh, like a video-based sensor. Mm, yeah, okay. I had uh, one sort of final area that I wanted to explore with you, and that was a kind of how, how AI is actually going to be delivered within within video surveillance. Um, I, I mean, by that, I mean, in terms of, exi you know, existing routes to market, how actually, you know, products and systems get to market. How, how are these, how is like this kind of software going to be sold? And, uh, you know, will it just become part of, let's say, a wider VMS, you know, uh, system or service, or, or, or will it be sold separately let's say as, as you know as a software as a service well i mean if you tie in a lot of sensors with video i mean it's pretty obvious it has to be on the uh, vms type of level okay so so the so the the reason for that then is that is that the, it the vms will allow all these things to to be integrated together yeah okay i mean it has to be someone who integrates it together and the camera can do some of these integration, but I, I honestly think the VMS is the most suited place for doing it. Uh, we've seen some examples of, of companies sort of being um, quite niche, especially in retail, where they will deliver, let's say, like a software as a service with a, with a cloud application direct to, to end users. Uh, and I've yeah, I mean, that's, that's how our people counting works. Right. So it's it's a cloud-based application where the end user can log in directly and see their statistics. And do you think you don't see much future in that? You think that eventually will that be integrated within within VMS? No. Uh, uh, okay. I, I was thinking more in terms of sensor fusion. Okay. I mean, when it comes to dedicated applications, I mean, like. Uh, like a people counting or a queue detection. I mean, those are rudimentary and, uh, of course, can be triggered directly from the camera and the cloud. Mm. Yeah, it's all really interesting stuff. And, um, yeah, I, I guess we'll, we'll see how these things are going to be applied in the next few years. I imagine that there's still quite a lot of innovation we can expect in, in the video market. What are your sort of, do you, do you make predictions? <laughs> the, do you have any? <laughs> do you have any, do you have any predictions? I'm happy to do those predict, project, uh, projections, but uh, actually I like the projection that 10 years ago was when we started pushing H.264 and full HD. And I would say that today that is the de facto standard 
and it took 10 years right. moving from analog to full HD. So then uh, my projection is 10 years from now, we will probably have a standard recording format being 4K. Right. Yeah. And then, and then how does that impact? As you know, you, met, you kind of alluded to it before, but how, how does that then impact the, uh, um, the application, how we use software and, and, how, uh, and, and, and how that affects video? Well, I mean, that uh, obviously generates uh, a lot more data, in particular, if you run it at a high frame rate. Uh, and that makes it more, the analytics has to work harder. Uh, you probably want to find a way to do a good metadata, although I personally haven't really found out to do that. Mm. And if there was, if there was anything you could you could change about uh, this the, the current state of the market in terms of you know not just video analytics and on an artificial intelligence, um, but also the way the market's structured, what 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 might that be? Well, we all would like the access control and video, I mean, to to become better integrated, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that would make life so much easier for everyone. Yeah. And any is there anything you can see that that's gonna that's gonna make that happen faster? Well, I wish I could say yes. <laughs> we will see. I'm sure. Well, Martin, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to cover. Um, and actually, that that goes for um, anyone listening as well. If if you want to have a if you've got a question for Martin, then uh, please ask it now. Um, but just want to say quickly uh you know we published a recent report uh, not so long back about security the security business you can find out all about video surveillance market globally and also access control and intruder alarm um so yeah please go to the website memory.com you can find out about that and as i said at the start we've recorded this uh, and we're going to be posting it on on our website later on today uh so yeah i think it just Remains me say thanks, Martin. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. I know how busy you are. Um, thanks for thanks for sharing your thoughts today. Thanks for listening and good talking to you. Good talking to you. What are you, what are your plans then for the for the next few few weeks months? Well, I mean, uh, now it's Easter break in Sweden, so I will go up to the very north to do some skiing, <laughs> and then uh, I will go to the U.S. to visit some of our experience centers and. Uh, ISC West. Cool. And after that, I'm pretty much done with my traveling for the uh, for the spring. Perfect. If people um, have follow up questions for you, is there um, is there a best way to engage with you? Are you, are you active on Twitter, for example? Uh, I do have Twitter. I'm not that active, but the best way. Uh, I mean, you can always use Twitter, or you can send me an email, martin.granataxis.com. Okay. Perfect. Well, again, thanks for the time, and uh, yeah, uh, enjoy your skiing holiday. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot.